Greet the church again this morning in Jesus' name. I'm always glad to be in the house of the Lord, um, especially at this part of the vineyard. I've been here a few times before, and I see that there's growth taking place. You know, wherever the Lord is, there's growth. Uh, somebody once said that God's favorite color is green, you know, because God just creates growth every single time. He makes it beautiful. I've come with my wife this morning. Wendy, she's Brother Eddie, uh, Claudia's daughter, and I've had the opportunity to take her away from Brother Eddie and make her my own. Um, I remember a few years ago when I first came to Australia, we were hosted by John McKenna at his place. I think he was living out in, at Endeavour Hills at that time, you know, and it just shows how things change. It's been a long time, and I just said to him, he's looking younger and younger. Um, we're going to pray before we continue. Let's bow our, our heads and close our eyes. Father, we come before you again this morning in Jesus' name. We're glad to be in the house of the Lord. We're glad to be among the saints. We're glad to be numbered with them. Father God, we're just here to just enjoy your presence, enjoy who you are, receive from you, O oh God, simply because you're good to us and your plan and your purpose for us, God, is to grow. It's to be developed spiritually. It's to be strong and mature. It's to advance, O oh God, in the kingdom, in Jesus' name. Bless us this morning. Heal our sick bodies, God. Save those who are not saved, O oh God. Touch us, change us, transform us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, let your word go forth in power, O oh God. Let it go forward and let it come back to the preacher. In Jesus' name, that God, we may live and demonstrate, practicing that which your word says. Amen and amen in anticipation. We're going to turn to the book of Daniel chapter 3. We'll read a few verses there. Daniel chapter 3, a few verses there. But I want to just start off by saying that Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 speaks of when God makes man. God creates man in his own image. He creates man in his own likeness. You know, God says to man, be fruitful, multiply. You know, when he says, have dominion, that was God's instruction to us as mankind. He was like, have dominion over the animals, the fish of the sea, you know, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the face of the earth. And the original design for us was not to be bound, not to be enslaved by the powers that be. Um, I work in a prison out in the city, Spencer Street. I'm a prison officer there. And I see every day, every single day, young men that come into the system and they bound with drug addiction. They bound with anger. You know, they've got short tempers. If, you, if they're driving behind you on the street and you take a second too long to, you know, drive through a, a green light, they're the ones that are on the news. They jump out your cars and they'll smash your window and they'll bash your face in because they cannot control their anger. They cannot control their emotions. These are young people who have failed in what God has told us to do. Have dominion over our emotion. Have dominion over anger. Have dominion over the chemicals that tempt us out there to become drug addicts and such. And there's so many of them that come into the system. I just see them every day. Some are rapists, some are murderers. They just come into the system every single day. It's so bad that, you know, uh, we are 
two prisons behind, which means that we need two more prisons so we can accommodate 6,000 more prisoners because the system is that bottlenecked. And I look at this, you know, from the spiritual perspective, and I see that mankind at some point in their lives has gone wrong. We've made the wrong turn at some point in our lives. We have allowed external forces to come into our homes and dominate. We've allowed external forces to come into our hearts and dominate. We've allowed drugs and all these chemicals to come into our minds and dominate. Uh, marriages are breaking up because there's external forces. We know who it is. It's the evil one. It's the devourer. It's the devil. John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we've allowed him, in one way, one form or the other, to enter into our private spaces and take control. You know, he attacks our children. You find that you raise your child at church, but at some point during that time, your child makes the wrong turn. It's because the enemy has come in to rob. You try to do the best with your uh, wife or your husband, but at some point in the marriage, trouble comes up, trouble erupts. It's because the enemy who's out to destroy you and to destroy me has been allowed a foothold. But that's all he needs, a little gap. He's put his foot in and he's angled himself into our homes and now he is taking dominion over the things that God said you and I must have dominion over. So this morning I want to get you to get angry at the power of the evil one. I want to get you to get upset at the uh, distance the enemy has come in to your private space. This morning it is your right, it is uh, God's perfect plan for you to be the head of your home. It is God's perfect plan for you to be the head of your destiny. It is God's perfect plan for you to be the chief commander of your future. The one that controls your dreams as far as where they go is God and God is leading you. So in other words, if you've got a dream, you've got a vision, you've got a plan, you have got to take that dream, vision or plan, put it in the front and allow no force to come in to take that away from you. If you've got a child and you've got a plan for your child, do not allow any force of evil to come against that plan for your child. You've got a plan for your future, your career. Do not allow any force of wickedness to rob you of that plan. I see them every day at work. These are, they're human beings. They come in, you know, some of them are rich financially. They come in and you can see in their eyes, these are men who have lost the dominion that God has given them. And so they've made the wrong decisions. And they suffer so much loss, so much loss. And I try to encourage them, like I am doing with you this morning, that God has given us the power to dominate. He has given us the authority to take leadership and take charge of our destiny. He has given us the tools. He has given us the weapons. He has given us the knowledge through the word of God. He has given us a family, which is a Christian church, to allow us to be encouraged to take a stand against the evil plan of the enemy which he has come up against. 
The devil hates you because he hates God. You and I are made in the image and in the likeness of God. So the closest thing to the devil, as far as he's concerned, is you and I. When he sees you and I, he gets upset because it reminds him of God, it reminds him of what he lost when he got kicked out of heaven. And so he's done everything and is currently doing everything in his strength and in ability to discourage you and get you to lose your place in God's kingdom. Daniel chapter 3, I said, reads thus. I've got the King James Version. It's the old version. It's got a lot of these and thou's. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather the, the princes and the governors and the captains and the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which he had set up. Verses 3. Then the princes and the governors and the captains and the judges and the treasurers and the councillors and the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar and they stood before the image that he had set up. Then a herald cried aloud and said, To you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the musical instruments, you shall fall down and worship the image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall in the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time when all the people heard the sound of the instruments, all the people and the nations and languages fell down and they worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, the children of God were captured and they were living in Babylon. Now we know that God's children, the nation of Israel, was told from the very beginning to worship God and Him only. They had the Ten Commandments given to them and one of them were, you must worship, love, love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and only worship Him. Do not worship a false god. Because when you worship a false god, God will cut you off. And so the nation of Israel is now captured and they're bound by Babylon. Namely, Nebuchadnezzar the king. And while they're captured there, uh, this Nebuchadnezzar sets up a massive statue and says that everybody in Babylon must now worship this statue. And so he allocated a whole band, if you can call it that. They had harps, flutes, every kind of instrument you can imagine. And the commandment was, when they make musical sound, when they play these instruments, a herald would yell out, everybody has got to bow down before this statue. Everybody has got to bow down and worship this statue. And so we read there, the music instruments were let loose. The harps were going. The flutes were going. The drums were going. The noise was going. And everybody, almost everybody in Babylon bowed down to worship this statue. 
and worship this image. In the midst of all those people were God's children too, who had forgotten the commandments that God had given them. And so out of fear, out of maybe trying to fit in, out of trying to keep the peace and not make too many waves, bow down before this image. Except three men. Now think about this, the mathematics of it. Thousands and thousands of people across the nation are laying prostrate before the image. And three, literally one, two, three men are standing. This speaks to me of the times that we are living in now. There is a voice that's crying out in the world and this voice is yelling out different things. It's saying that we've got to bow and accept the worship of false gods. And out of fear of offending people, we just go with the flow. Out of fear of going against the grain, I've got to live in peace with my neighbors, so I'll say yes, even though I don't disagree. We tend to bow down. This voice cries out even in our homes when we have a certain standard raised. But in the home, our son or our daughter will come up with a different belief. They'll try to live life their own way, opposed to the way that we raise them at. And as parents, we are tempted to just bow down because if I challenge my son, he's going to raise his voice against me and he's going to make me upset. I'd rather just say yes to him. This is the society and the day and age we're living in today. Uh, corporal punishment and God system has been kicked out of the schools because the church has chosen to just, let's not offend them. You know, it's, it's going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to cause too many questions. Let's just let it be. And so, just like those people, in a sense, we bow down to the powers that be. The doctor will give a diagnosis and say you've got cancer, you've got this sickness, and you've got that sickness. And even though we know what God says about sickness, we think, you know what? It's going to take too much from me to, you know, pray and trust God for healing because, man, I've got, you know, good uh, health insurance. Australia's got a good medical system. Why should I pray for God to heal when I'm covered. And so in a sense, we bow down. There's so many things that take place in our lives today and they go unchallenged. The enemy comes in and he challenges us in our own marriages, in our homes, at work. We get challenged. The boss comes and he speaks rudely at you. And even though you are a Christian and he uses expli expletives uh, against you, vulgarity and profanity, we think, well, you know, if I stand up for myself and say, sir, don't speak to me that way. I'm a Christian. I don't believe in such vulgarity. I'm not swearing you. Why do you swear at me? Well, he's gonna, it's going to create waves and I might just get made redundant. You see how we bow down? We just give in to the standards of the world which are lower than the standard that God has set against us. And the thing is, it's because everybody else is doing it. So we tend to go with the flow. Everybody's doing it, let us also do it. I work with other prison officers, obviously, and that job that I'm in attacks ex-army people, it attacks very hard people, you know, because the nature of the job is hard in itself. 
Um, and these guys, a lot of them are not born again. And I find that at work, they're always challenging me to do the wrong thing. You know, they're always challenging me to uh, try excess alcohol. Because that's how they de-stress. They're always challenging me to cheat on my wife because that's what they do. But at work, I find that I have got to, even though I hear the, the sound of music, and even though I've heard the commandments from Nebuchadnezzar saying, bow down, I've got to be challenged. I've got to know it in my heart that I cannot go with the flow because the majority is doing it. I've got to remember the right, the authority that God has given me to take dominion. And I've got to make that stand. The Bible says that these three boys, they refused to bow. These boys stood their ground. And even though their friends and their family members were bowing, even though other Jews like them were bowing before the statue, they refused to bow because they knew who their God was. What's my challenge to you this morning? Do not bow to the voice of the enemy, even though your neighbor is doing it. Do not bow. Even though other churches are doing it, you do not bow. Even though your other family members have given up, you must not bow. There's so many folks nowadays who just hear like a bad report and suddenly they forget their faith. Suddenly they forget to pray. They get a little bit of bad news. Oh, did you hear Auntie, Auntie Mary is sick? You know, she's, got, she's been diagnosed with cancer. And suddenly, because of the emotion behind it, we all tend to, oh, shame, she's got six months to live. Oh, well, let's just give up on her. No. As children of God, we have been encouraged to pray in those circumstances and not give in and not bow. We have been called to be greater, to be stronger. In fact, this is a fight. That's what the Bible says. Fight the fight of faith. It's not a physical fight, it's a spiritual fight. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be like a soldier in a war. You've got to understand that every time you get up in the morning, you've got to take your place in God's kingdom and say, I am the head and I'm not the tail. You've got to stand your ground and challenge the devil. You see, there's a war going out there and so many have given up. They say that the young people of Australia, they call him the Generation Y. Yes, generation Y. Now, it's a lost generation. We are losing our young people by the numbers. Um, they, it's called peer pressure. You see it at school, like among the young girls, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, the bullying that's taking place. You see it among the young men, the road rage and the drug abuse and whatever, and we're losing them. They're on the news. We are losing them, and we're only losing them because there's nobody fighting. The majority of the people have heard what's going on, and out of fear of offending the young people, have chosen to bow down to the powers that be. But come, I tell you a little secret, having been a young man myself. Young people want discipline. Young people want to get told the right way. Young people want somebody to fight on their behalf. And the only people that God has chosen to fight on behalf of the young people are you and I. The only people that can help your sons, your daughters, your nieces, and your nephews is you yourself. It's when you get up in the morning and you do like these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and say to the devil, today I will not bow. My son, my daughter, my niece, my nephew will not become a statistic. 
No, sir, but I will take dominion and I will take charge and I'll stand in the gap for my son, daughter, niece, or nephew. Yes, I will take authority and devil, you've got no place, you've got no hold for my little one. The Bible says that these men, they stood their ground. And so the Chaldeans, they come to the king. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you wouldn't believe what's just happened. Remember you said, when the music is being played, everybody must bow? He says, well, there's three boys that did not bow. He says, there's three that did not bow. Yes, we've noticed them. Now, I want you to understand this one thing. The devil is active and he notices you. You've got to understand, the Bible says, we are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. You've got to understand that the enemy that we're fighting with knows you. He watches you. He knows your family history. He knows your association. He knows how faithful you are at church. He knows how faithful you are to pray. And he's watching you. Just like how they noticed those boys. They said, yep, 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 yep. We noticed those three, Nebuchadnezzar. Those three are not listening to you. They are not following your commandments. And they are not bowing. Yep, yep, yep. And that's what's going on now. The enemy is going around and he can see Sunday morning who's at church. And so he knows to attack those families of the people who are at church. Because he's watching and he's seeing. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls for these three boys. Let's read a verse or two here. So he calls for them. He's upset now. The Bible says in verses 13 of chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? He says, Now be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the music, fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you don't worship it, you shall be cast in the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And he says this, Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, I like the response. They say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. In other words, we're not going to even think about giving you a response. It's that quick, you know, it's, it's at the top, like, top of our, our minds. We're going to give you an immediate response. We need not go back and still investigate how do we answer you. No, no, no. We know how to answer you right now. He says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of, the, out of your hand, O king. But even not, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, simplified, what they said was, King, we know God is strong enough, powerful enough to deliver us. However, even if God does not deliver us, even if it doesn't go our way, we will not serve your gods. Now, this is, not, uh, the, this is the missing link in Christianity today. We've got that soft approach uh, to God's children nowadays. We don't want to offend Christians because uh, Christians want to only hear the good things that God is going to answer, pray immediately. God is going to bless you with millions of dollars. 
God is going to make your children the most obedient children ever. When you jump up in the morning and you drive your car, it'll be green lights all the way. Because you are a child of God. Everything will work out for you. When you go for a job interview, guess what? Because you're a child of God, you will get it. Without even doing the interview. Because you are a child of God. This is what we've been accustomed to as children of God. We put on the TV and you hear this man preaching, you know. It's going to be blessed, blessed, blessed. It's good, good, good. You know, as a child of God, your mortgage will get paid overnight. Yes, because you are a child of God. The best, the best. Your petrol tank will never go down. No, you are a child of God. What a lie is that? How many of us had red lights this morning coming to church? <laughs> How many of us had guys with road rage tooting behind us this morning on our way to church? Now, that's the reality. And that's what these guys are basically saying. They're saying, King, we believe that God will deliver us because he promised to deliver us. We will not serve your gods. And we are in line with what God is teaching us. You know, we've got to only serve him and he'll bless us. And even, and even if you're against us, God will deliver us. Comma, comma. They say, but guess what? Even if it does not go the way we expect it to go, how is that? It's like me and you praying, God, please, uh, you know, I've got this mortgage. It's a half a million dollars. I've got to pay it off. You know, give me some overtime so I can just pay it off a little bit, God. I, I want to beat the interest on this thing. Please, please, please. And even if it does not happen so, and you are just scraping it every single month to pay your mortgage, you still got to be a faithful Christian. It cannot be a thing of, I go to pray in the closet just one one hour, God, please, heal my sick mother, heal my sick mother, heal my sick mother. You come out after the hour, she's still sick. Oh, I can't serve you, Lord. No, no. As children of God, we are called to endure. As God's children, we are called to suffer through persecution. We are called to be strong in times of much adversity. We are called to challenge it. That's what it says. This is a fight that we in a fight doesn't go one way. It's blow for blow. You look at the greatest champions, Muhammad Ali. You know, what made him a great champion? He could endure 12 rounds of getting beaten. You know, but on the 13th round, this man would rise up like a monster. As if he never got punched one time. Rise up like a monster and plumber his adversary and win. That's what made him a great champion. If you look at all of the greatest stories of all time, it's men who were faced with adversity and rose up above adversity. That's what made them great men. Jesus, when he came to the earth, he never came as just king of kings and lord of lords, just doing everything. Okay, today I'll show you, man. I'll just kill all of those demons. Demons, go! Uh, the, the, you know, all of these Pharisees and Sadducees, y'all just go, earth, open up, swallow them. No, he had to face challenges. Even though he had the power to shut them up, he had to run away. If you read it like the Bible, it says that Jesus at times turned around and he fled. Not because he was weak, but because it says his time had not fully come. So he would disappear from time to time. But guess what? When the battle was at its last round, what did Jesus do? He rose up in all his power. Hey? And he took authority. And he slayed the power of the evil one. And he rose up victorious. So what makes you and I victorious? 
Not the battles that we lose. No, it's the battles that we go and we stand and we stand our, our man. We face the devil eyeball to eyeball, toe to toe. We go hard at him and we lose a round or two. But the final round, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, we are always guaranteed the victory. We've got to have an attitude of even though things may not go my way today, I will still be faithful, Lord. Even though my bills won't be all paid today, I will still be faithful. Even though my kids aren't that obedient, guess what? I will still pray God. Even though the sickness is not healed today immediately, guess what? I still believe in you for a miracle. Even though things are not changing for me overnight, God, I believe you are still able to do it. These young men had the courage. They had the mindset to look at reality and say, King, yes, we believe God can deliver us immediately, and we know we will. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow and serve your gods. And God will grant them the victory because of that profession. And the king Nebuchadnezzar got so upset. In fact, let me just read a few verses before I get to the, that part of it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 to verse 17 reads like this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand hallelujah stand so now what kind of people use armor soldiers people that are in some kind of battle use armor at work we wear um, boots pants a shirt you know and when it's a normal day that's how we dress and we do our normal practice at, at the prison. But the moment there's drama, there's a siren that goes off. It's like a, like a fire alarm. It goes, but, but goes I, I, I can't make the sound, excuse me, I don't have the vocal cords. But it makes that noise that you know, the alarm goes off. And once the alarm goes off, I've got to change what I've got on. I've got to run downstairs. I've got to put on riot gear. Because I'm going into battle now. It means that there's a prisoner who's waiting at some point. He's got a knife in his hand or he's made some kind of weapon and he's calling us to kill us because he's calling us dogs. Come on, you dogs, I'm going to kill you. And with, with, at that moment, we have got to dress up and I've got to prepare for battle. I've got to be ready. And that uh, particular verse we read is uh, speaking about our armor that we've got to wear as children of God. Because we are wrestling against evil powers. We are fighting against an enemy. And in order to win victory against this enemy, we can't come looking pretty. You're looking beautiful this morning, by the way. But we cannot come to him looking all dolled up. My suit and my tie will not get me the victory. I've got to get dirty. I've got to get some arm guards on. I've got to get knee pads on. I've got to get my helmet on. I've got to get my breastplate on because I'm fighting. I've got to get weapons in my hand because I'm not coming to negotiate with the enemy. You see, even at work, there's a point where negotiation 
breaches. I'll give you an example. A prisoner will be in his cell, he'll be barricaded, he's got a knife, he's broken a toilet seat, he's made a spear or something. He wants to kill anybody that walks into that door. So step one is I come in and I've got to negotiate with him. I've got to say, Johnny, drop that weapon, man. I'm going to come in, I've got to speak to you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm not going to hurt you. Okay? Drop your weapon, sit on your bed and be calm. That's negotiation time. What about an hour to negotiate? You've got to love Australian prisons, I tell you. I'm from South Africa. South African prisons are not like that. There's no negotiating with anybody. If you just dare be rude, you know, the officers will let you know what rudeness is all about. But in Australia, you've got to love this country. We negotiate. I'm going to come into your cell, man. Drop that weapon. Drop that weapon. Sit on your bed. So it's on your bed, and I've got to record this for evidence, right? Because it's all about the prisoner. Don't hurt him. Dare not. He's killed 10 people. Don't hurt him. All right. Hey, uh, Johnny, sit on your bed, man. Sit on your bed. About an hour or so of doing that. But there's a point where negotiation ends. That means I'm coming in, and I'm coming in hard. I'm coming in there, and I'm coming in strong. I'm going to put you down onto the ground. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get restrained. But at the end of the day, you are given your chance of negotiation. As children of God, we've got to understand that we don't negotiate with this enemy called the devil. That point of negotiating, we don't even reach it. There's no thing of, okay, 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 Satan, look, you can take my daughter's virginity, but just don't touch her health. No. None of that. It's hands off my property. Hands off that which God has given me. No such thing of, okay, look, look, Satan, uh, okay, look, we're going to make a deal now. You can take my, my, my finances, but don't touch my marriage. No. It's 100% no negotiation. It's I'm coming in here, devil, I'm telling you, leave every single thing that belongs to me. Put it down because I will not submit to your power. I've been given a name greater than every other name, and that name is the name of Jesus. That's why we come to him. We always got to be fully armed, fully covered, fully dressed, because the devil is a liar. He'll pretend as though he won't harm you, but guess what? He's got a knife behind him. He's coming to you like he's coming to listen to you. No, no, okay, Johnny, what you got to say, Johnny? No, 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 look. You know, I was going to take your daughter and your marriage and that type of thing, you know, but ah, I'm a nice kind of devil. Come closer. Behind his back is a weapon because he's a liar. That's why you and I, from the time we get up in the morning, we've got to spiritually be prepared, spiritually be dressed and covered to take on whatever challenge comes our way and not allow the enemy a foothold into our property. We've got to have dominion. Hallelujah. Dominion, dominion, dominion. Let's go back to the Bible. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar is now enraged. He's infuriated because these boys are embarrassing him. The whole nation is on their knees. They're laying prostrate on their face, bowing to his statue. But these three little boys refuse to listen. He's mad. His ego was crushed, you know, as a king. So he says to the gods, he says, you know what? Take these guys, bind them. Take them and all of their goods, right? 
Make the fire, he says, seven times hotter. That's how I'm saying. He says, make it seven times hotter and cast him in. And of course, the gods do so. The fire was that hot that the strong men that had bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them in, those men got burnt and died. So the king is now excited. The king is now happy. The king feels that this battle is over. He's like, yes, I've got the victory. Yes, I win, I win, I win. They're in the fire. They're out of sight. Yes, I've got domination over these people. And the enemy sometimes thinks he's got the better of you and I. Right now in his mind, he's thinking, you know what? These folks I've got, I've pulled the wool over their eyes. They're not going to come up out of this one. It happened to Jesus too. When he hung in there on that cross, nailed him to that tree. You know, the enemy thought, up, oh, it's over. They've taken him down, wrapped him up, chucked him in the tomb. Yep. Excited. Job's done. No, job not done. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, for a living dog, there is hope. Because when you are alive, it means that God can still do the impossible for you. When you did beyond the grave for you, there's no hope. But as long as you are alive, there's opportunity to change. I tell the boys at prison every single time, like, young man, yes, I know you've stuffed up all of your years, but guess what? Because you are alive, there's an opportunity to turn your life around. There's opportunity for change. Simply because you are alive, the devil has punched you, he's kicked you, he's knocked you down, but he has not killed you. I watch boxing sometimes and I see Muhammad Ali got bashed. I mean, he got bashed. One first round, second round, ninth round, tenth. I'm like, this man is gone. But simply because he's alive, he's able to tell his legs, legs be strong, hold me up. Arms be strong, rise up. Feet, take me forward. Hands move, punch right. Hands move, punch left. Next thing you know, they're counting up one, two, Five, seven, ten, he's won the fight. Because he is alive. And because you are alive, no matter what's happened in your life today, in the week past, because you are alive, even though maybe in your money, in your pocket, you've got no money, your health is compromised, but because you are alive, God can still do the impossible for you, with you, and through you, because you are alive. So the king goes down. He's going to see now. If he's finally won, the Bible says he goes down, the fiery furnace, he looks in there, and he sees Shadrach, he sees Meshach, he sees Abednego, he sees his boys walking around the fire, and he sees a fourth man in the fire, and he's, he's much perplexed. He says to his leaders, hey, didn't we throw three men into the fire? They say, yes, we did. He says, I see three men, and I see a fourth man, and a fourth man looks unto like the Son of God. What's going on? That's what God does. But look at when God pitches up now. When they were standing, seemingly there were just the three of them, right? When you're talking with the king, seemingly there were just three of them. But when things were at their worst, when things were at their final stage, and the fire was seven times hotter, and the fire was that hot that it consumed the men who threw them into the fire. Jesus, God, his power is, has appeared and God is seen with them there in the fire. What am I saying to you? God always appears in our lives 
at the point that is perfectly needed. At that point when things are at your worst, you are not alone. God is right there with you. When you've almost given up, God is with you at that point. The Bible says he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. God never, his phone never ever goes into voicemail. I don't know about you, but I've had a few people that owed me money. And I don't know what happens with people that, that owe you money. Sometimes. When you phone them, I don't know, maybe it's a delay. God, with the telephone networks. But when they owe you money, for some reason, you get their voicemail more often than not. I don't get it. I'm like, how come only when, I, oh, when he owes me money and I call him, you have reached the voicemail box of Now, God's phone never, ever goes into voicemail. God's phone never, ever loses a signal. There's never, ever a network disruption. No, 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 no. God is always on the line, always available, and he's always present when you need him. And it's always at the worst time in your life. You know why? You know why? Because God wants you and I to give up our ability of trying to fix our own problems. God wants you and I to give up on trying to cure our own illness. God wants us to always give up on trying to remedy ourselves. We're trying to fix our own bodies. Have you ever seen anybody operate on themselves? Cut their chest open? Do a triple bypass? No. What have they got to do? Submit to the expert. Not so. And what does the expert do? Puts that thing over their face? Eh? Breathe, breathe, count. One, two, three. Gone. Why? Because he wants complete control. Because he knows if you have to wake up mid-surgery, what's going to happen? Disaster. You're going to grab pipes. Yeah? And these are men. Now, how much more God, the chief physician, when God wants to operate in your life, he needs complete submission. He needs you to breathe in. Count one, two, three, out. Put your hands there. Tape your eyes down so we can have complete control. Because that's how God works. 100% control. In closing, there's a story I heard years ago from an old lady. There was this man who had bought this beautiful house. And, you know, this man had problems. Every single night when he go to sleep, there'd be cupboards banging, windows would be banging, swinging open. You know, the radio would come on, the lights would flicker on and off. This man had no peace. And every single night he tried to go to bed and he'll have no peace. Over and over and over and over. And he got up in the morning, he spoke to his neighbor. Neighbor's like, look man, you don't look good, you know. I can see you haven't slept last night. What's, what's going on? He's like, mate, whenever I go to bed, man, my house just it comes alive. You know, the bed starts shaking, the roof starts creaking, the windows start banging. I've got no peace. The man says, you know what, I know somebody called Jesus, right? This man called Jesus, he gives you peace. He's a prince of peace. Invite him into your home, and guess what? He'll do the impossible for you. Yep. Guy says, okay, I'm going to invite this man. He invites Jesus to come over to his house. Jesus comes over to his house. This man says to Jesus, Jesus, listen now. I've got a massive home. He says, Jesus, I'm going to give you the best room in this house. He says, this room is your room, Jesus. I've got, it's fully furnished. I've got fruit bowls here for you with every single fruit. I've got a little bar fridge for you, you know, Coca-Cola, whatever. 
Go wild. I've got the best set up for you, Jesus, he says. Jesus is like, all right, like, this is your room, Jesus. This is the key to the room. I want to go sleep now. Man goes to bed. Gets up in the morning again. He's not impressed. He's had a rougher night than ever before. It's been, I'm talking about, it's crazy. A thousand times crazier than before. First thing in the morning, he goes and he's banging on the door where Jesus is sleeping. He bangs on the door. What's going on? What's going on, man? You know, you promised me peace and rest and whatever. You never deliver. Jesus steps out and says to him, Sir, the room that you gave me had peace. You only gave me that one room. You never give me your house. He has the key you gave me, but the key was for that room. In other words, Jesus doesn't want one room of our lives. He wants the entire thing. And when he's got power over the entire thing, guess what? Suddenly, he can help you entirely. Let's give him our entire heart. Not one department, but every single part of our lives. Every facet of our being. The Bible says in closing, after the king had seen what happened for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after he witnessed the power of God in their lives, the king says, you know what? This God, he is the true God. The king puts out a decree and says, everybody or anybody that comes up against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that person must get punished. What am I saying to you? Our obedience and our consistency and our persistence in serving God is not just for ourselves and our families, but it's for everybody else on the outside because God says that we are the light of the world. So when you are obedient to the Lord, automatically there's people that's watching you who you don't know are watching you. But when they see you being faithful to God, God begins to bless those people. And suddenly their lives become changed through you. But all we got to do is a simple thing of giving Jesus our entire home. Here's my heart, Lord. I'll give it to you. This morning I'm going to pray. If you're saying, preacher man, I want prayer, don't have to stand. Just acknowledge by lifting up your hand, putting your hand down again. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Preacher, man, I want prayer. I'm going to pray with you. I know I need prayer. My wife, she needs prayer. Our home, our home needs prayer. My neighbors, they need prayer. And we're going to pray this morning and trust God for the impossible. Maybe your family needs prayer. Well, guess what? You can stand proxy for them. Uh, maybe your colleagues at work, they need prayer. You can stand proxy for them this morning because prayer covers distance. Prayer goes all the way to the right, to the north, south, east, and west. Prayer has no limitations. This morning, in agreement, we're going to trust God for the impossible. Let us just call upon his name. Father God, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus. Father, we are standing here this morning, different faces and different needs. However, we all serve the same God. And so this morning, God, we're calling upon you because if you could be faithful for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can do it for us this morning. Touch our homes, touch our families, touch our cousins, touch our aunties, oh God, our nieces, our nephews, our sons and our daughters, God. Reach out and touch them. Let us be used as vessels of light in their homes, oh God. Let them see through us the example of Jesus Christ, Father God. Let them be blessed through us. Let us, Lord God, rise up and have the strength, the courage of our conviction, standing upon your word, and take dominion, and not allow the powers of the wicked one to dominate. Reach out, O oh God, and touch, change, and transform our lives, God.
that we could be voices and testimonies, oh God, testaments to everybody around us.